This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Which might be dead, which might be on life support, but we'll find out more today. It's definitely vaxxed. It's definitely <laughs> vaxxed. Vaxxed and masked all the way. That is for certain. I am your host, uh, Matt, and I am joined by Pastor Michael, who is already jumping in <laughs> with quality. And so I'm jumping the gun a little bit. No, hey, it's, it's great to be with you guys again. It's great. Uh, we uh, we love doing the show. Um, thank you to the patrons who've joined us and are supporting the seriously, show. Seriously, this has been awesome. Um, like, I... I was not expecting um, even what we've already got. I think we have 11 people signed yeah. up for the various levels of uh, Patreon. So, so join us nuts. there for an extra show every week and other bonus content as we go. But today we have a, a thing to talk about that kind of everyone has already seen. And the reason we're talking about it is because it has a huge amount of overlap with the young, restless, and reformed. And Big Eva. And the Gospel Coalition. And the main leaders of evangelicalism. And it is the Megan Basham article, how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. Pastor Michael, I assume you saw this article when it came out. Yeah, and just to make it clear, like it's not um, simply evangelical leaders. It's almost exclusively, I guess not exclusively, but it's almost all why are our guys? Yes. You know, almost exclusively that she deals with. Um, there's a couple others, but others that have made their kind of, you know, uh, names known within the why are our circles. And so it's interesting to uh, see this end of things. And we've talked in the past about uh, kind of the one of the the driving forces of a lot of of why are our uh, work was that they didn't want to be like that old school religious right um like we are just because we're christians we are republicans and that's our understanding of political engagement and articles like this articles like we're also going to talk about um from david brooks um books like jesus and john wayne uh that i just finished reading this morning um so we'll talk about that at some point all of these kind of seem to make the point that Actually, they did the exact same thing. <laughs> they right. did They did the thing that they were so mad about the previous generation for doing. Right. I, I mean, Pastor Michael, how would you summarize this article? I started summarizing it to my wife uh, as I knew we were going to be talking about it. And her jaw dropped open. She could not believe uh, what I was saying. So if you were to summarize the basics of this article to someone else, the general force of it, how would you summarize what was found in this article? Um, so basically, uh, Megan Basham. Basham, is that right? That's We hope uh, so. We, we would we seriously so. love to have you on the show. Yeah, Megan, if you hear this, um, hey, if you're listening to this, tag her in this yep. and send it to her. We'd love to sit down and, and talk with her some because and we think that'd be fascinating. We think she is one of the few journalists who seem to have an understanding of evangelical Christians and is attempting to report on them. I think... Most other religion reporters don't understand the evangelical field really at all. Yeah, well, and so this article, it was it was very well done, like from a journalistic standpoint, at least reading it, right? So I, like I, you know, reading a lot of, of different uh, articles by so-called journalists, usually mm-hmm. it's, it's not just like, hey, here's this really well-researched piece with the receipts um, 
it's more like here's my personal thought with a couple of like mm-hmm. you know quotes or facts thrown in. And now clearly from this article, Megan Basham has a particular bent. Mm-hmm. Also, she's writing for the Daily Wire. Right. Right. So that's just expected that, yeah, of course, there's a bias there. Um, but the difference here being, I think it's just understood. Like, yeah, sure, there might be bias. But look, I'm giving you all of the evidence. You can check it for yourself. And to be it's fair right to her there. and to the Daily Wire, it is published in their opinion section. Yeah. And and I will say, basically, every fact she reports is publicly verifiable. Now, I did see after she published this a complaint that uh, some of these organizations were deleting things that she was linking to. That is just wild because they would never do that. <laughs> I know. Uh, but going back. so like, How would you summarize to, yeah, this article? If, if I'm to summarize Why it, did this article – and then we'll talk about why this article caused such a stir. Yeah. So uh, the summary of the article is that um, well-known evangelical leaders were quick to parrot what – ever Francis Collins wanted them to about the coronavirus and what measures should be taken in the church in order to slow its spread. Um, so that's, that's like the general idea that um, very, very quickly and without a lot of pushback, um, there were evangelical leaders and pastors who were quick to join in with Francis Collins to push particular measures of how to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we'll I'll read we'll read a few quotes from it because it is now behind a Daily Wire paywall. But but yeah, I think that is I think it is the article is largely two things. It is a bit of a profile of who Francis Collins is and his interaction with evangelical leaders about coronavirus mitigations, mandates, and what they should do. And I think um, there are the just so you know who uh, uh, Francis Collins is in the U.S. government. He was Anthony Fauci's boss, and he presents himself as some form of an evangelical Christian. Um, and what you find in the article is throughout many interviews and many um, connections he has, basically what you can imagine him doing is what Anthony Fauci was doing in the mainstream media. He was doing that with the... Um, faith-based, conservative Christian leaders, right? I mean, here's a direct quote from Francis Collins. She uses, I want to exhort pastors once again to use your credibility with your flock to put forward the public health measures that we can know can work, right? So Francis Collins, I think what is, in my mind, was shocking about the the first large majority of this article is that Francis Collins essentially saw his role as convincing Christian leaders to become mouthpieces of, and again, right, this is what she says, of the the NIH, Instant National Institute of Health, um, and the federal government's positions on what they should do in light of the coronavirus. That's what I think was shocking. So, Pastor Michael, why do you think this article kind of uh, caught fire the way it did? Well, so um, I think a lot of this stuff was already coming out, a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff that uh, Megan Basham brings together. But I did not see a lot of places where it was all brought together so, Mm -hmm. like, succinctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, number one, um, this article doesn't, like, shy away from—it doesn't just say evangelical leaders were, you know, supporting Francis Collins. It calls out specific people and shows specific instances of how they did that. So it starts by talking about Ed Stetzer. 
right? Ed right. Stetzer, um, and how he old uh, Ed, oh, old good old, old Eddie, old uh, is he an op Ed? Is <laughs> <laughs> back. Oh man! Uh, so uh, you know Ed Stetzer, if you don't remember from uh, you know his the rise and fall of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, where. He very classically said something like, "Oh, it'd be interesting to uh, find out if maybe we had a role in." in uh, I mentioned Mark Driscoll. I can't believe what happened. Right, right. Um, definitely, he was he was an early mentor of Mark Driscoll. Um, to my knowledge, has not come out and taken any responsibility for that. Um, has you know was uh, uh, I'll just read what she has here. Um, the, he's the executive director of the Billy Graham Center. Um, he is, uh, or, or was, uh, an editor at Christianity Today. Um, he was the executive director of Lifeway. Um, so this is, I mean, this is big stuff, right? I mean, right. and we all know his name. Yep. Um, this is, Ed Stetzer is, is a pretty big deal and in now the evangelical he is, world. He is responsible for the website from the Billy Graham Institute, the coronavirus and the church. And from Wheaton, he put together... This faith-based website about what you should do for your church in the coronavirus, right? So it links to CDC guidelines, church online, uh, resource partners. First video is Dr. Francis Collins. An interview, another interview with another uh, NIH doctor. And I guess we're another, a second interview with Francis Collins and all by Ed Stetzer. Questions about what you should be telling people about the vaccine. This is a real website. We're this is a real website. We're actually looking at it right now. Right. It's, <laughs> um, it's bad. Yeah. And, and, and okay, this is, this is again, we always give this caveat, but I do think it's important we give it again. The criticism we're making, maybe, and again, uh, this has, I don't know what the reporters, I don't know what her view would be. Our criticism is in no way about what your local church pastor did. This is not a criticism of if your church took too many precautions or too few. We're also, we're not even just, like, we're not making a, like, here's what, like, the medical science Exactly. Says. We are not, we are also not um, making a decision about what you should have done about a vaccine or how you should feel about any of those things. What we are saying is that I believe what we started talking about when we began talking about uh, the Canadian pastors is... This is state religion. This is a literal state actor telling pastors what they should say. Right, what the church should do. And so telling pastors and ministry leaders, hey, this is what we want you to do and say. And then those pastors just doing it. Right. Right. Literally establishing a website, which, by the way, how much money did he get to make this website? Right. It was a lot of money. I guarantee it. Right. I mean, he got government funds to do this yes uh and so they the billy graham center right, right. a center uh, all about evangelism puts out a website right. about what you should think about vaccines about the origin of the coronavirus right. about masking children in schools like what what is this right <laughs> what what are you doing and so you know again we um i i have never been as interested in the what are the origins of the coronavirus it is very weird that Ed Stetzer and Francis Collins sought, thought it was important to have pastors say this did not come from a lab. This, yeah. I don't know. I I'm not. I've never been very interested in that. It's almost. Why would? Why? It's, would, it's almost like one of them was trying to cover that fact up. Yeah, but it's just why? Why would my pastor ever need to? What? What? 
what I don't understand why a pastor would need to have an opinion really about this, right? So we have, um, I mean, right. So then we have discussions of Russell Moore, who, in the time where questions about religious liberty were most most at question, and actually that relationship, we could have had a very interesting conversation, right? Um, but instead, what we got was the quote from Francis Collins to Russell Moore: "This is not a political statement." This is not an invasion of your personal freedom. This is a life-saving medical device. Talking about a small mask. Right, so Russell Moore. Uh, so Ed Setzer, Russell Moore. Tim Keller. Tim Keller. The Gospel Coalition. So mm-hmm. um, the Gospel Coalition, uh, though it did not maybe have the same kind of like interviews and things like that that some of these other organizations and people did use, um, she does point out how the Gospel Coalition used for several essays basically exclusively information from Francis Collins as their their basis for the things that they were sharing. Um, and another thing that, you know, uh, they included, like when Ed Stetzer and Francis Collins are speaking and they talk about um, the, you know, basically the conspiracy theory that this started in a lab or when Francis Collins shares with Russell Moore or others that, you know, it's this couldn't have started in a lab, um, which again, like, is just now out. Everybody agrees. Yep. Okay, it was funded and started in a lab, funded by NIH. Um, are, that's just your your church should have positions right, on vaccines church, or right any of that. Like it's just weird. And then the Gospel Coalition, like much like how you know maybe um, they uh, do in other situations, they you know compare on the Gospel Coalition, right? Like what what is the Gospel Coalition for? Well, they talk about this and they compare uh, what it is to. Uh, to uh, believe that, you know, where the virus started, um, certain beliefs, meaning at that time, the belief that this virus began in a lab, well, that uh, is the same as believing in QAnon, or it's placed alongside QAnon beliefs, which is just, you know, uh, that seems pretty far afield to me. Those seem like pretty radically different, different ideas. But, But maybe the worst one, in my opinion, was... Uh, the comments that were just taken from Rick Warren. Now, we'll put it this way. Here on this show, we're not putting tons of um, trust in Rick Warren overall. But but I think, I really think this is like across the line, horrifying. Like I was, I, <laughs> this was like what really Remember, shocked me. Remember too, by the way, like Rick Warren played a, a pretty like meaningful role in the whole rise and fall of Mars Hill story. Um, right. and, and Mark Driscoll's rise. So like, you know, we've talked about him a little bit in the mm-hmm. past. Maybe not too much. I don't know how much, but he was obviously such an influential figure. I forget that Rick Warren is still like a thing and around. Right. Um, I just assume that like he has not been around for a decade, but I, I mean, guess he's still there. He's I mean, still this, got a church. This quote should be the end, but right. So Rick Warren says a thing that you've probably heard, right? Wearing a mask is the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's already a um, concerning application of it. But I would say the big, the big statement is where he describes what he believes uh, is the role of religious leaders. Let me just say a word to the priests and the pastors and rabbis and other faith leaders so one at this point rick warren does not care about christianity he's just like that that if that wasn't the biggest if you this is a political social role now right it's just what if you're a leader in a faith tradition this is this is the end of christianity rick warren is now just a mainline leader he is not a christian leader anymore he's now just big guy people like and and this is shocking. And so then he says, 
Right. And so the idea that me as a, a Christian minister has the same job as a rabbi or what are the other faiths he's talking about? He's talking about, right. He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about Islam, right. He's talking about these other things. And he says, he's given them all the same job, which is, this is already beyond the pale for me. The idea that, um, I, is his ministry appreciated by all these people? I like, I just, my mind is blown. But then what he says, this is our job to deal with these conspiracy issues and things like that. One of the responsibilities of faith leaders is to tell people to trust the science. They are not going to put out a vaccine that's going to hurt people. Now, I'm not laughing at hurt people or the vaccine. I'm just, I'm laughing at the fact that he says it's the role of faith leaders to say right. trust the, the role, science. The role of pastors is to say trust the science. Wow, that's pretty bad. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that the first time that Rick Warren met, evidently, this is in the article, oh, yeah, this is so that, bad. the first time that Rick Warren met Francis Collins was in Davos for the World Economic Forum. Right. And that he also met uh, more recently um, when this came out with Collins uh, for an off-the-record meeting with key yeah. faith leaders, which, by the way, I want to know who those guys were. Oh, yeah. Who all was there, right? Ed Stetzer was probably there. That's, <laughs> that's Russell right. Moore was probably there. Right. Who, I'm just assuming. Who's getting the point. dark money? Yeah, that's what it feels like. This kind of stuff makes me a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. Right. But you just, you have a government actor Right, a, a government actor who is going to key leaders within evangelicalism and having them parrot a particular point of view that they have and even saying it in such a way that it says this is the role of yes. the faith leaders, right? And, this is the role of pastors, of churches. And use your spiritual authority to present this yes. as your flock's duty. Right, and what, what makes this, you know, um, you might— Agree. Be able to argue. Well, you might agree with the position. Yep. You also, you might be able to argue, hey, there might be a time that uh, it would be beneficial for pastors because of their influence to help out those in the civil realm with something, right? Sure. To, to use their influence um, for some kind of good. That may be okay in like some Greg circumstances. Like <laughs> the witches. Like <laughs> <Greg>. <laughs> Sorry. Like... <laughs> I'll cut this. Like... <laughs> like Greg Locke and Exercising and Witches. Exercising but... Witches. That's from a good, the people. good. Anyways, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. So, like, yeah. But maybe, so maybe you could argue to that point. I, even that could be um, debatable. But I think I could get to the point where I would say, yeah, there there might come a time when that is necessary or and, good. And we're also not talking about your pastors even talking to their county health board about yeah, right. how to meet in person. You know, these kinds of questions. This is, right, this is not, again, faith leaders going and saying, hey, how do we, like, oh, civil leaders, right, who we are still under the authority of in a certain way. Yep. Um, what What would be best for us to do? Outside of what we can't do, which right. is, you know, stop preaching the gospel or something like yeah. that. Um, instead, what we have here is a secret backroom meetings right. of heads of state uh, with these leaders telling them what to say. That makes me right. want to become a conspiracy what, theorist. The, the, where this crosses the line into, as I've been calling it, de facto state religion is... This is what you should say as a pastor. I, as a government person, am here to tell you what you should say as a pastor. That's a different, like, that is a difference, right? A, a civil leader saying, I want to work with local pastors to see what we can do if there's something we can do about the virus or, you know, these kinds of things. I think probably a lot of times those partnerships 
potentially will be harmful, maybe not always, not always, sometimes fine. And pastors using their influence for a specific goal is not bad. But when it is a direct, like, here's what you should say, right? Like, as a pastor, I want you to say, trust the science. Like, get up and say, trust the science. That's such a weird like, thing. Especially, the by the way, because all of this is a developing situation, and we now know for a fact right as this article points out and as like you can find elsewhere Everywhere. that there are many things that they said in these interviews and in these articles and when there are many things that Francis Collins told people that were lies <laughs> he i mean he went to these people and he had them lie on his behalf right and so that's part of what happened here yes and so the second half of this article is kind of categorizing um who Francis Collins is and why he uh, is not a trustworthy source for evangelical Christians. Basically, what the article says is Francis Collins calls himself a conservative Christian, and how he has fulfilled his role in the government is completely indistinguishable from a secular leftist bureaucrat. It's yeah. complete. That's basically, if I were to give the gist of it. Now, some of the things that have been done are disturbing. Things with tests on aborted fetuses yeah, so let me just read i'm just sure. going to read this portion of the article she reports that you know he is not only and he, she links to different articles here so i'm not you know maybe some of this is you know far afield maybe she's not quite reporting it quite right um these are all things that i had already seen mm -hmm. um so i did not look into them again um, i had already read other news articles and and briefs about these things so i don't i don't know for sure that these are exactly right obviously test everything for yourself yep. um we're not we're not saying this is absolutely right, but if it's true, and it does seem to be legitimate reporting as far as we can tell, she says this, uh, he, Francis Collins, has not only defended experimentation on fetuses obtained by abortion, he's also directed record-level spending toward it. Uh, among the priorities the NIH has funded under Collins, a University of Pittsburgh experiment that involved grafting infant scalps onto lab rats, as well as projects that relied on the harvested organs of aborted full-term babies. Some doctors have even charged Collins with giving money to research that required extracting kidneys, uh, uh, ureters, and bladders from living infants. Now, that last one, right, that's a charge. Yep. So that's different than the others. The other things are things that were funded uh, under his leadership. Yeah. Now, some will defend that, probably, and say, well, he maybe, you know, like, right. he maybe didn't know exactly what he was funding. He knew some of it. Yes. Um, so he has defended some of these things. So, so let me read the two direct quotes from him. So the, here are two direct quotes. This is him speaking. Um, so here it is when he talked about fetal cell research. I think it's widely known that the NIH tried to protect the continued use of human fetal tissue. But ultimately, the White House decided otherwise. We had no choice but to stand down. Right? And he's talking about the Trump White House blocking uh, the testing on fetal cell tissue. Right? Which... In a, uh, in virtually any version of pro-life you are, that that is opposed. Yep. Right? Because, I mean, it's it's directly profiting those who practice abortion and mot and and and, and motivating motivation. Yeah. To like, it. Absolutely. Uh, and then the second one, which he has called himself, he has called himself an ally to the LGBTQ, and he's committed to listening, respecting, supporting them as an advocate. What I'm saying is. Did he, you know, the question that everyone wants to know, did he know what was happening in Wuhan, right? That's kind of the where we you're kind of pushing out. The things he says in his office 
and the way the office continued to run, one is despicable. Yeah, it's evil. Is it, evil. It's evil is the word that we would use. Yes. And two, the way he speaks in his office is indistinguishable from everyone else who's who holds this office, right? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, she just kind of walks through all the kind of major, you know, like kind of culture clash issues um, that most conservative Christians are going to find common ground on. And uh, Francis Collins, across the board, and by conservative Christians, I mean including, at least supposedly, most of the people that are mentioned right. in this article, right? Guys like Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, guys like Tim Keller, got, uh, people like the Gospel Coalition, right? These are people that generally um, would at least espouse that they hold to these same values. They right. are pro-life, right? They are um, committed to the Bible's teaching on sexuality, um, these sorts of things. Well, Francis Collins explicitly denies many of these core beliefs right and and yeah if you are if he was in a bible believing church the way he's speaking these actions he should be under church discipline yeah not directing pastors right um and so the reason we want to talk about this is because one it so impacted so many leaders in the yrr and i think one of the big things to gain from it is i i think that what we are seeing as, as Pastor Michael mentioned, right, the decrying of the religious right, their involvement in the culture and politics, this is a, this is, in my mind, de facto state religion, an example of it. And then there are two other, two other big things, with, and I'll give Pastor Michael, if he has any thoughts before we move on, is Francis Collins was also, and these are, this is something we can't find in the article, so we're going beyond the article in one, we're going to talk about Francis Collins as the model of what is called faithful presence. It's a it's a, a model of witness, and perhaps we should do a whole episode on the logic behind it. We're just going to briefly talk about it. And then the final thing is, is some of the pushback evangelical leaders gave this article as it was published, understandably, because it kind of impugns right, it the whole amount. The whole evangelical industrial complex is going down. Right. Big Eva is, uh, their names are mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have any uh, thoughts about the article in general before we go through, uh, before we kind of keep moving on? I don't think so. I mean, again, it's striking. So I read it as soon as I saw it kind of being shared around, um, probably the day it was published. I uh, read it and I don't think anything in it was completely new to me. So a lot of this is, you know, I mean, if you hang out in the kind of scenes that Restless is often, you know, acquainted with, (laughs) people are sharing articles about the misdeeds of Big Eva all the time. And so I see some of this stuff, um, a lot of the the problems here. Um, As we, you know, go into talking about faithful presence, um, I don't remember a lot of the details of the article, but I did read an article a while ago um, on uh, the American reformer, called something like the you know the failure of faithful presence mm-hmm. highly recommend it um, and going to check that out um, some good work was done there just as far as again thinking through how do we think of faithful presence in the wake of somebody like a francis collins uh, because he was the model you know um, he's supposedly according to ed stetzer and russell moore and tim keller and rick warren all of these big names um, he is like the go-to guy. He's He was such a solid... <laughs> Russell Moore, <laughs> I think it was Russell Moore, in this article is quoted directly as saying, uh, you know, uh, oh no, this was, it was Rick Warren. So I correct myself. Um, so Rick Warren explicitly says, he says of Collins, he's a man you can trust. <laughs> 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 which, which is like, oh. if I hear somebody say that, it makes me think, 
should I not trust them? Like, oh, if you man. have to say it like that very explicitly, like, please don't distrust this man. It makes me think maybe I can't trust him. I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, it uh, none of it was necessarily new, but it was striking when it was all put together how easily many of these people went along with whatever Francis Collins would like them to say. Mm. And uh, we can't see like their motivations for that. There was obviously money involved for some. Um, some of these organizations very clearly were funded to create websites and other things um, to uh, help with this push. Um, there was clearly like a, you know, uh, kind of good old boys club. Like, you know, Russell Moore is in a book club with Francis Collins. <laughs> That's one of the things uh, yeah. he talks about, I believe. Um, and, and David Brooks, by the way, which will be interesting because we'll talk about an article by him uh, in a little bit. But uh, anyway, like this is like a lot of these guys are friends. Tim mm-hmm. Keller, Francis Collins talk about like they have a they have a, a friendship developed. Um, sometimes that can blind you. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if you have somebody who you think is your friend, um, you're just you're going to trust them. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that like having a loyalty to your friends is actually a really positive thing. In this case, there should have been more vetting, right? My friend comes to me and he says, hey, I want you to use your platform to push one particular government agenda on churches as if it's just like the truth and if there's as if there's like no debating it and as if as if it just means love your neighbor. And you can even understand how in a friendship it got there. If I'm Tim Keller and I know unlike restless i have a lot of people who listen to everything i say which is why most of these people don't need twitter right <laughs> um i and i'm having to make decisions about this i can, you can understand and you can even understand how francis collins gets himself to this place i'm gonna call the guy i'm like well this guy would know something about it hey what do you think about this and he'll tell me if this happens to me enough now i'm gonna say i'm gonna start going to pastors and telling them what they and so you can understand how we've gotten to this point where it's an incredibly serious problem, but how it it starts in just like it wasn't necessarily sinister, right? Yeah, right. Like it's not started as like some sinister plot. And even reading through this, like that's the thing. I think that you could like there is a like I said, I when I read about Rick Warren at Davos, <laughs> okay, like the the conspiracy theory side of me kind of goes, wait a minute. And, and, uh, and Ed Stetzer is certainly not an op from the government. <laughs> That's definitely not true. Right. So, like, when I hear that, so sure, like, I get a little bit conspiracy theory-y, uh, if that's a word. But, like, you can see how, like, all of these things can happen just on their own, naturally, as um, certain Christians particularly get very deeply involved in politics. And when we've talked about how the YRR were so critical of the way the religious right did that, let me just say that uh, you know the religious right had significant um, influence on some aspects of the government. Um, they had significant pull as far as like uh, you know riling up a voter base. They uh, you know did have some uh, people like you know um, I think it was Beverly LaHaye, Tim LaHaye's wife. Uh, was on different, uh, you know, uh, panels or groups assisting Ronald Reagan. And, you know, so some of these groups, like, they had influence in the government. Mm. Uh, but it, it's all, it was all pretty visible. There was some of it that was a little bit more shady in the back room. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is that they were doing the same things, except they probably had less connection to sure. the government than yeah, Russell yeah. Moore, than Ed Stetzer, um, even than Tim Keller, probably. Like, they, they had significantly definitely than rick warren right rick warren is i mean he's 
he's he's talked to most of the presidents over the last you know right. he uh, hosted several presidents. a debate he hosted a debate like uh, so this guy has significant connections that's way more than a lot of these guys in the religious right could have dreamed of having mm. okay and yet they're condemned and these people are doing the same thing right they are selling the faith for political influence is what they're doing and it's really problematic yeah and so what i think this allows us to do is one i think we there is we already see the problems but i think this allows us to take one look at and introduce our listeners even maybe and even maybe megan basham who does not mention this in her article to the concept of faithful presence because what you don't know is how influential this idea is on evangelicalism and on the YRR specifically. In fact, I'll just I'll I'll uh, I will um, uh, spoil the one of the the uh, the potential reveals is TGC recently produced a book called Revisiting Faithful Presence, where they have all the big name TGC people write an article on their perspective and. Continuing the conversation really? on faithful wow, presence. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and and it is uh, maybe should have waited a little while to put it out. I don't know. Yeah, and so it is available for free. Um, and as I've said, if there's a lot of interest in this, please let us know. We could do a full episode, really walking through the logic. It's free and theology hey, of we, it. We'll do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, where does this title? Where does this idea come from? It comes from a book called "To Change the World." The Irony, Tragedy, and Possibility of Christianity in the Late Modern World. It's by James Davidson Hunter from 2010. And he says, here's, he gives an explanation of why he wrote the book. I wrote the book because I saw a disjunction between how Christians talk about changing the world, how they try to change the world, and how worlds, that is culture, actually change. These disparities need to be clarified. And so his whole perspective is what we need to do is we need to think about how christians engage in quote-unquote changing the world influencing the culture and he proposes in a very academic way what is now referred to as the faithful presence model so here's a little bit more about um what faithful presence is so it is a, a specifically post obergefell um, model. So Obergefell, if you just, if maybe if you're not an American um, or you don't remember, that was the Supreme Court case that um, has been viewed as legalizing gay marriage across the country. 2014, mm-hmm. right? So. so now that Obergefell's final death knell for Protestantism soft establishment, by the way, we've just learned there is a soft establishment. <laughs> like, if this article told us anything, uh, there wasn't a death knell. It's just a new one, right? Um, and this death knell set evangelicals free at last from the methods of the religious right. For one, the language of the language of faithful presence may be elusive, but this is a feature, not a bug. I think it's best the, these days to avoid an all-encompassing, sweeping cultural solution. Um, once we are offered these kinds of grand narratives, they led to cultural decline. The proper cultural strategy is faithful presence, he added. This is uh, Davidson speaking. Not pulling away from culture, not trying to take it over. Faithful presence within means being faithful. It means we're not going to assimilate and we're going to be distinctively Christian. It's an attitude. Oh, sorry, this is Tim Keller speaking. It's an attitude of service, 
uncompromising in our beliefs, but not withdrawing or trying to dominate. So what faithful presence is, this is, sorry, this was a Tim Keller quote about him explaining what faithful presence was. So he says, right, it's, it's these things. We come, we climb the ladders of culture, and we don't pull away, right? But we don't try and take it over. You act as a faithful servant in your role and don't compromise on your beliefs and serve. Um, this is from an article called The Moral Universe of Timothy Keller from The Atlantic. So, Pastor Michael, uh, this is the most basic um, perspective on faithful presence. What would you... How, what are your thoughts about it as you hear about it? And I'll go. I'll I'll give you four more points that take it a little bit deeper before we um, uh, before we move on from this. What do you think about this idea? Yeah. So I mean, as a general idea, it seems okay, right? So well, so part of it does. <laughs> the idea of like just being faithful and present, um, sure, like that's that's fine. Um, just trying to be uh, a faithful believer in whatever place God has put you. Mm. That sounds um, very much like the teaching of the New Testament. Now, when you start saying things like you're not attempting to take it over, I don't know what that means. Right. Um, So it it just depends on what that means. If you mean, hey, you don't have to be like bombastic in such a way that it's like, you know, well, I'm a Christian. And so I, you know, declare that I own this business now. And then you get fired. Well, yeah, obviously like that, that would be uh, kind of absurd. Like the... There, there is a really kind of, uh, a kind of very revolutionary, um, uh, again, very kind of bombastic way of like, you know, declaring victory over cultural, you know, right. places, businesses, political groups, whatever it might be. That doesn't work. You know, it yeah. just, it never has, it doesn't. Okay, so, so if that's kind of what it's coming against, and the religious right, um, the moral majority kind of stuff, that fell into that a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It really did. Um, the way that you hear a lot of these guys um, you know, the Jerry Falwells um, and others speak, it was kind of like that. Right. Um, but at the same time, if you're saying, but we're not seeking to change what's happening, then what, I guess, what are you doing? Right. Are you, you're, you're a nice, soft-spoken guy who says, oh yeah, and I'm a Christian. Yeah, so and, you're just there. And again, I think that the, the other question becomes, even with this idea, um, with the yeah we don't thank god we don't have to try and be in charge post obergefell did the the question becomes at some point we must follow the instructions given in revelation where he says get out of her get out of babylon there is so much rot like if francis collins thought he could be faithfully present in the nih while the nih was sowing the parts of aborted babies to rats you cannot right yeah, like right there was no way to do that and Maybe years ago, there was a way for you to do that, but our cult, the rot is so bad. And so what that Atlantic article, point, article points out is that there are these well-credentialed evangelicals in these large urban churches like Keller's church are taught to aspire to faithful presence in these institutions. And so the thing about it that always seems to me that every time I hear it explained, everyone explains it a little differently to me. Right. Well, and that's what it says, right? It's, it's intentionally a little vague. Right. Um, it's intentionally not exact. And I like, part of me likes that because when you have like a, you know, here's the, here is the way that you influence culture as a Christian. And it's just like across the board, it's going to look the same. 
Okay, yeah. well, that can't work, right? There are different models. There are different ways of doing it. Um, and I think whenever we try to make, well, here's the biblical model. Yep. That is problematic. Yep. And so, okay, I like that in a way, <laughs> but right. also it makes it slippery so that when we say, wait, is this faithful presence when Francis Collins allows these things? Right. It'd be like, well, no, not that part. It seems to me to confuse evangelism and cultural influence. Yes. Which in evangelism, right, what the religious right often did that I think was a mistake is they turned we need to get Reagan in the White House into somehow they describe that as evangelism. Yeah, it was not, the same thing, right? Not evangelism. Evangelism is telling people that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again and declaring the forgiveness of sins in that name, right? But a totally valid Christian activity is building institutions, reforming institutions. Yep, starting up a business, right? Um, getting involved in healthcare, doing it, these things. Yeah, in um, and bringing a specific Christian worldview to these things as you're given authority. And so what it always seems to do is it seems to confuse it. Now, let me share you what I'm going to describe. I think there are like four features of describing faithful presence. This is from a talk given at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So hey, shout out. I was maybe there. When was it? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. So so the first one is our first task must be to establish our political affections. What a weird way to start. Who's, who is who is this from? His name is Matthew Anderson. So this is a talk given from Trinity Evangelical School uh, by someone working there. And so they were their goal was to explain what faithful presence is. It said our first task must be to establish our political affections and passions on a new foundation, which will involve expunging the atmosphere of resentment and anxiety. So I found that to be a very uh, interesting thing. So the first thing, if we're going to have successful, faithful presence, we need new political passions, right? So this is the, this is the eliminating of the religious right, right? Like that's the first thing, right? Whatever faithful presence is, they want it to say it's not the religious right. Secondly, it says, more personally, preserving our native habit of good cheer might require us. So this is where I think things get interesting. Preserving our native habitat of good cheer might require us. We simply ignore grand cultural struggles happening around us. Faithful presence demands denying the lords of our culture war their tithes and offerings and attention so that we can give them instead higher acts of prayer and charity and toward keeping alive the permanent things of art, music, Shakespeare, and the play. So this is the one that I started to find very interesting, right? So if number one is we are not associated with the religious right, the second one says in order to do this, we are going to have to ignore the grand cultural struggles. And so instead of going, bringing the... Uh, the Lord, our war for culture, we instead bring prayer and charity wherever we go and work on keeping things alive like music, art, and Shakespeare. Pastor Michael, what do you think about this as something that the, a Christian should do? Um, some Christians can maybe be involved in these things, right? <laughs> right. Like, uh, yep. you know, it's not, we wouldn't say it's wrong for a Christian to nope. write a play. Nope. To enjoy Shakespeare. Right. <laughs> I enjoy Shakespeare. Um it's weird that that is like that, that has to become the thing, right. but this is what happens, right? So you look at the religious, right? They were like, Hey, God guns country. Like yep. there was this very specific cultural milieu that this um, idea of how to be political 
uh, a rose in. Yep. These guys are doing the same thing. Yep. It's just a different like cultural ethos, right. but it's the exact same thing. It hasn't changed. Right. It's and and what's fascinating is it's you can't be like the religious right. Hey, you have to lose the culture war. And now here's why. Why would you have to ignore these great cultural struggles? Because you will never be allowed into a position of culture if you say, "Yeah, I'm against." I believe homosexuality is a sin. Goodbye. Yeah, you're you're done, done, right? Like you, it's it's not even um, a Christian can enter these things and just decide. I don't believe every Christian needs to be making public stands on every cultural issue of the day, right? Like, of course, that's not what I think. But what's the issue is that this appears to be require a posture of compromise. Even though we say we don't compromise on our beliefs. We just compromise all the actions that are around our beliefs. So then the next one is evangelicals then should saturate our lives with more real obligations to our neighbors, more um, covenants among men to act for our mutual good instead of vague abstractions about the importance of maintaining a courageous Christian witness on marriage. So instead of maintaining a courageous Christian witness, which is an abstract idea. You have no idea what that means. As as Pastor Michael um, shakes his head, you need to focus on your neighbor's good. Right. Yeah, what? <laughs> That's what, it was so funny. Like, here's, here's this vague idea, but here... More covenant... <laughs> among men to act for our mutual good yeah that's the concrete that? idea yeah oh man uh so again once again um this is projection you're doing the very thing that you say that you're against right. you're doing the very same like it's the same problem it's, it's why a, can't you see this it's essentially you need to be a servant instead of like making declarations now the issue is is that the defense of marriage is loving to your neighbors, right? Like it is fundamentally loving to your neighbors. Now, does it, does the world make more sense if you focus on your direct local community? I think it probably does. Yep. But my, but my problem is that when you say, let's focus on our direct local community and in my direct local community, what if you need to make a statement about marriage? Right, like that's where this issue comes. Like that actually, see, it seems more fundamental on a local level than it would on a larger right. level. Right, it, it it's more fundamentally important with your neighbor than that you go on Facebook and you say something yes. about you know the problem um, with the Obergefell decision. If if this was a version of localism, which it appears to be attempting to be, like there is a a high value to actual localism. Yeah, I'm all for that. Right, <laughs> but no, it it is a uh, you know. What's interesting is that um, these things are being said at a time when, right, so you don't need these like big courageous stands on an issue, but you're talking in a time when making any kind of strong objective critique of anything is seen as a negative way to approach the issue, right? So right. you're uh, once again simply imbibing what is the cultural's way, the culture's way of ascending the ladder of influence and power. Right, right. and so it's this weird... It's this weird, and especially with this last one, it's this weird dichotomy I don't understand of like Christians get into positions of power and and not 
use i don't know it's a very weird position yeah, why right? would you get into a, a place of power as a christian and not use it for right. the good of fellow believers of your neighbor of like why well you get in it to preserve shakespeare that's what you should do <laughs> I, I, also how many people in culturally significant places of of authority are actually trying to preserve something like shakespeare rather than rewrite it so that right. it fits more our cultural right. values right <laughs> and so then here's the fourth one that really i think brings it home and confuses me a principled pluralism in all of our lives. Christian institutions that wish to be faithfully present must extend their hospitality to those who might despise us. So Christian institutions, in order to fully engage with this, have to platform and have to present, for the sake of pluralism, people who might despise us. Yeah, so will that be reciprocated? Of course not. No. So what you're saying is, um, again, institutionally, hey, does are we saying that this is a weird idea because you should never talk to somebody who disagrees with you? Of no. course not. I do it all the time. I do it every week. I do right. it like, like, that's, like that is the normal life of anybody who right. wants to be involved in the world. <laughs> right. Um, but if you're saying that our institutions, so like our, you know, our seminaries, need to hire on people that are fundamentally opposed to the truths that that seminary uh, is, is trying to inculcate and uh, teach its students. Well, of course not. That's absurd, right? right? Like that's literally the end of the institution as it stands. Right. It seems to me with all of these things where it's like we're going to serve people. We're not going to worry about these courageous stands. We're going to worry about people around us. We're going to, I mean, we're going to open Christian institutions up. You know, we are going to, uh, we're not, we don't have those old political affections of the religious, right? Basically what it seems to be saying is, hey, cultural elites, just so you know, we can be faithful Christians and not be a threat to this whole thing you're doing. Yeah, we're not a threat to you. Please, and in fact, please leave us alone. Here's our institutions. Please come on in. <laughs> please have you them. You can use them too. That's what it appears to be. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder how this squares with uh, the early church under persecution, um, not even allowing unbelievers until they have very much proven themselves to even see what they were doing in worship. You know what I mean? Like, right. they, like you can't even um, be engaged in the, the littlest bit of this. It wasn't because they weren't faithfully present where they were, right? They were being faithfully present. Um, however, that does not look like this, um, right. true faithful presence. So I want to talk about this uh, a little bit. And unless, you know, I maybe I'm taking us down the wrong... Nope, nope, keep going. So, uh, And then we'll bring it back to Francis Collins. Because, yes. again, he is the... He's the guy. He's He's the guy. Um, so faithful presence to me, um, when used in the best possible light, when thought of in the best possible light, is simply a way of saying you can be in the world but not of it. Mm -hmm. So it is not completely removing yourself from the world right. and from uh, you know the various institutions they of the would world. Say this is like Daniel, right? He worked in the Babylonian. So this court. is where I go because people always talk about when it comes to faithful presence, it, they talk about Daniel. Right? right, he was just faithful, and slowly he worked his way up till he was like this, you know, really important person in Babylon, which is true. Um, that is, you know, partially true. Now he did have a particular blessing of God um, that allowed him to do that, um, but it is true that that did take place. Um, what I'm interested to know is how do we take Daniel as like the example of what we should be like 
when there are other examples of what Christian leadership looks like from the Old Testament, like the judges, like Joshua, right, like David, um, that are examples where you know a Christian takes authority mm. um, and used it in order to secure um, a, a place or or, uh, you know, uh, a place for God's people or the ability to, say, you know, worship God freely again or something like that. Um, I'm not saying that those should be examples for us in, like, how we go about our political lives or how we go about changing culture. And I think a lot of people would be horrified to even begin to think about, well, what would it look like if we were like the judges or we were like Joshua? They'd be horrified by that. I do not see any reason why you should say, well, we should be like Daniel if you can't then say, we should be like Joshua, mm. uh, we should be like the judges. And even if you say, hey, we should be like Daniel, then do you know what that means? It means that even on the smallest little uh, principle of praying publicly in a way that when, like when you would be seen, um, like praying publicly, uh, you have to be willing to give up all of that influence, all of that power, all of that cultural cachet Right. simply to pray. If you're not willing to do that, well, then you're not anything like Daniel. Right. You know, like Daniel was willing to be thrown in the lion's den to simply pray when everybody could see him. Right. How many of these guys who are faithfully present, if they were in these positions of power and one of the rules of the NIH or of whatever, um, whatever branch of the government or wherever you want to put it. And it almost always is political, right? right. It's, this usually isn't like business, although it's, it's spoken of in terms of business sometimes. It just seems to come up a lot with politics particularly. But even in business, right? So you're, like, you're a high-level executive at uh, you know, um, some, some large uh, business that everybody would recognize. What if they come out with some kind of policy that says, hey, you're not allowed to pray at your desk while you're working? Because other people might see you, and that is not pluralistic enough. So you're not allowed to do that. Um, right. You do it. Right. right? Like, you, like, if you want to be like Daniel, <laughs> if you want to be like Daniel, then you do it. Um, that's, that's all I'm saying. Now, I don't know that Daniel—I I think that Daniel can provide a helpful partial model for what it can look like to be faithful in a certain circumstance— but the idea that Daniel and no one else, or like you are picking and choosing is what I'm saying. You're picking and choosing what seems to align most with what you want to do rather than saying, what does the scripture actually teach? Um, also, here's my other problem with, you know, uh, this idea of faithful presence. For some reason, the only people that are ever considered faithfully present are on one side of the political aisle. Mm. It is never the you know like uh the right oh. hardcore pentecostal evangelical it's not the mike pompeo right oh how, how right we literally got four years of how could any evangelical work for trump it was how almost, could anyone <laughs> like how could yeah. you do that <laughs> yeah no, well, that's I'm a being great faithfully point. present yes i'm being faithfully present uh like it's never that other side it's never even though there are many opportunities, it seems, for evangelicals um, right. on the other side of this supposed aisle that we speak of. Um, how come John MacArthur, uh, John, <laughs> how come John MacArthur is never seen as somebody who is faithfully present? Right. When he has become a fixture in 
California when he w- went on things like Larry King Live right. and presented the gospel. When he, like, you know, uh, goes and says really silly things uh, with Ben Shapiro right. about how anybody who's not a dispensationalist hates Israel um, or hates Jewish people or whatever. It's anti-Semitism. Right. Like, that's stupid. That's silly. Yeah, yeah. But how come this, like, this is a major, like, cultural figure at this point. How come he's not faithfully present? You know why? Because he disagrees with your politics. Right. Because you care more about your politics, your particular progressive agenda, than you actually care about faithful presence, quote unquote. Right. This, and this is where these two things have been confused. And so, and, but I think the great, I think faithful presence, Francis Collins as an example of faithful presence shows us, shows us the issue. This is neither faithful nor presence you should want <laughs> nor presence I want in my church. Yeah. And so Megan Bashan, before we close, again, we could go down all these roads. If we should do a full episode on the gospel of reflection, that gospel coalitions reflections on faithful presence, there's a lot that could be discussed, right? This was, this was believed to be the path forward and may have been considerable at some point, but I don't think is considerable. And I think, as Pastor Michael is pointing out, it is neither consistent nor is ever offered to any of the people who worked in the Trump White House. Those people, as David French has made clear to us, are evil. Yeah, Mike, evil. Mike Pence, who clearly like disagreed with Trump even on a yeah. lot of things, um, who is a well-known evangelical. He is. If he's if not. Francis <laughs> Collin, if Francis Collins is an evangelical Christian. So is Mike Pence. This actually, I've never actually thought about it in these terms, but that is so crazy. It that, is insane. <laughs> this whole idea of faithful presence. He should be being interviewed, be, being interviewed by all of the faithful presence people. Yeah, where's where's the Gospel Coalition? Where's Christianity Today? Where are all of these right. guys who White are talking to Francis the Collins? You know, like, and then right when uh, even Trump, sorry, these are the examples are just hilarious. Trump shows up at. Um, David Platt's church to be prayed for, and David Platt's uncomfortable praying for him. Here's your big moment to be yeah. faithfully, faithfully present with the president. Like yeah. he's right there. Yeah. So people were unhappy with Megan Basham's article, obviously. So there were some quibbles, some, you know, apparently people didn't like the quotes about Joe Carter. But what a lot of people wanted. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I don't even remember. What did she quote about uh, Joe Carter? Well, let me get it for you. Did she call him Agent Joe? Oh, just... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so one article by the Gospel Coalition's editor, Agent Joe Carter. I added that, of course. <laughs> we added. She did not say agent. She's a proper journalist. <laughs> yeah, Joe Carter linked the reasonable hypothesis that the virus might have been made in the uh, be human made with QAnon fantasies. It then lectures readers about spreading such ideas might jam- damage the church's witness in the world. And someone went through and said, "Well, he's not saying they're the same thing. Like you know, a very." Right. What? Of course, because he says it in a way that you can always say, no, I'm not saying they're the same thing. But I think the most fleshed out uh, critique of what she wrote comes from actually another person in um, the like conservative media world, Eric Erickson. And I really think this gets down to what most of the criticisms were. Actually, she was supposed to actually have an interview with Francis Collins that unfortunately after this article got out, 
they canceled. If only you could have waited. I know. You Why didn't you wait to right. publish this till <laughs> Seriously. after? Seriously. Because, um, I mean, here's what they said they ended up. They they originally lied and said, oh, there was a mix-up. We had to do something else. Then they finally sent her an uh, explanation of why they canceled. They said, the tone and the claims of this article are inconsistent with the gracious dialogue Biologos is seeking to promote. He's also big into Biologos. Lo- right. Which is the evolution-promoting... Uh, organization from Fuller, which, okay, another great example <laughs> of like, oh, come on. And it all makes sense. <laughs> so Eric Erickson, he published something and it was basically his, his pushback. I'll, I'll summarize it and maybe read a few quotes. He said, he starts with saying, could a Christian in standing oversee any department, department in the Nazi government? His answer is no. He said, here's a question. Could a uh, Christian be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and one of its subdivisions promotes is an entertainment company that promotes violence, sex, and even ridicules Christians. And he says, and that person is uh, Randall Stephenson. Uh, he's an indisputably conservative Christian uh, in the PCA. He was the CEO of AT&T when AT&T bought Time Warner and HBO is a subdivision of Time Warner. Now, he is going to compare this man to Francis Collins. So one, let me go ahead and say right off the bat, this is a fallacious argument because just because this guy did this doesn't make whatever his role at AT&T okay. Now, I, I don't know anything about the man. I'm not seeking to impugn his character at all with, with that statement. But I'm saying when you say, well, if you think it's understandable that the CEO of AT&T may not have a role in what's happening in the entertainment production division of HBO. Well, maybe Francis Collins position is a lot more, you know, um, uh, at issue. I I'm saying that just because this Christian is doing this doesn't actually justify anything, right? He could have a totally unjustifiable position for all I know. And you didn't tell me a lot of information. You did not give me a ton. Because here's one thing you don't get, right? There are no quotes of him saying, I'm an ally of the LGBTQ, right? There's no like, I actually think we need to do fetal stem cell research, right? There's no, and maybe he has those views and that would be, I would be happy to declare those as There's also no, like we have emails that say that you knew certain things about this virus and then you were coming out and lying yourself and then also trying to get all of these religious leaders you know to lie on your behalf. You need to tell all the religious leaders and tell people it's okay to watch HBO. Yeah, right. right. Like that wasn't happening. (laughs) Right. And so he says, I still have some qualms about Collins' positions, though the NIH executives tell me, so he called the NIH to figure out that it's important to understand Collins does not approve and sanction all the research and funding. Um, (laughs) So So the people whose job it is. To make Francis Collins look good, right? He didn't say that he did the and, wrong thing. <laughs> and a lot of the, and the things he directly oversees, little would be controversial, um, right? Because again, like I'm sure they they fund thousands of studies, and oh well, you're you're picking on the the evil too or whatever. Like well, those still <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's more evil oh, things. Oh yeah, that they I'm do. sure. Uh, the NIH is complex, and while. Uh, Collins is responsible to guide the whole. He does not improve the entirety of the budget. Two of Collins' friends told me this. So he called. So he clearly runs in the same circles and called them. And so what he then asked at the end of this is basically like, 
we need to stop the division, which is what you saw a lot of after this article was published. Pastor Michael's already like just shaking his head at I this. I just like so this this just is always seems the argument to me of people when we who, lose when, when you lose, lose. Yeah. exactly like when when your guy when somebody and I don't know Eric Erickson seems like he's got some like uh, okay things that he's put out before he also seems like he was very like pro the kind of stuff that Francis Collins was pushing mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's why this is like he yeah I, I don't like I'm not gonna impugn motives to him um, but uh, in this circumstance okay let's just agree. It's possible that you could work for an organization um, and you don't know all the things that you're funding. Let's just say that that's true. We have express like evidence that he went to religious leaders and tried to help like them convince their people um, that certain things that we now know to be true were not true. That he knew were true at the time. Like, right. he, he expressly did that, and we all know it. Okay, that's not like a, oh, this is an unhelpful division kind right. of a thing. That's not like, a, oh, those, like, fundamentalists are at it again. Yeah, and and the division, right, this would be different if, let's say, let's give, you know, one of these examples. If Tim Keller came out and said, wow, you know, I have realized that potentially using my platform the way I did created problems. Or acknowledged like hey i agree with a lot of things about what francis collins said about coronavirus i want to uncategorically condemn these things the nih did then if it's like haha we've got you and now we're going to beat you over the head with this then it's a totally appropriate time to say you know what you are being divisive you are right or if francis collins came out and said i didn't know about these things i think they're evil instead when he's been questioned about them he says things like Yes, well, the NIH does currently fund fetal, you know, <laughs> yeah. research of various kinds. Like he just does the political answer. Right. He doesn't do the Daniel thing in just saying what he should say right. that could get him kicked out. Yeah. And so here is the advice that Eric Erickson gives us that would end end the division. Let's bring let the healing begin. So number one, he gives uh I'll, I don't think this is how he says it, he gives Big Eva some advice. Hey, maybe spend a few weeks going after the wokes instead of the constant chastisement against the whole bunch of people who have nothing been nothing but chastised by the media and cultural elites over the past four or five years. And I actually think that's the experience he has in the conservative circles he's running, speaking like, hey, the fact that you chastise these people over and over again is not creating healing. And then he gives uh, those of us, those of us dissenters, if I can borrow that term, uh, some advice. Concurrently. Oh, great. Great word. Concurrently. <laughs> Can those of you who blast Big Eva maybe recognize they aren't the enemy and instead of spending all your time attacking the prominent evangelicals you feel like have wounded you or the faith actually exercise some grace? That's... Pastor Michael, you do not seem convinced. Wow. No, so I... Okay, like on a general level, is it possible... There, people, people like us. There are graceless criticisms, yes. sure. And that, like, we even, right? Have we fallen into a graceless criticism at times? Sure. Like, I like I think that that is possible. I even think it's likely at times because of just what we do, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you know, obviously, like, this particular episode, not very winsome. Right. <laughs> even in winsome winter, not very winsome. But here's the problem with this. We have somebody 
who claims to be a Christian in a place of influence held up as an example of that Christianity, who has been engaged in anti-Christian work, anti-Christ work. Like, I'm not trying to, like, call him an antichrist. He might even be a Christian. Right. He has done things that are morally reprehensible. Right. Right? That that no, uh, no right. member of a church in good standing could do without being disciplined in a church that, like, faithfully carries out church discipline. Right. If, if you find—and if you found out that was happening, the faithful thing to do is go, I have to find a way to get this to stop. Yep. Right. To do something. Um, or even, like, you could resign in protest. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people do that in governmental work. Hey, I just found out this horrible thing is happening. I'm going to resign in protest. Maybe you didn't do that right away. Hey, maybe come out now that all this controversy is out there and say, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't take the skin of aborted babies right. and sew it to rats. Right. Like, I'm mad about this. Of course, because uh, it's horrible. Yeah, no, so this is, and, this is what's and crazy. And let me say this. To the, the problem with, with Eric Erickson is, the promotion of this is the enemy of all that is good. Yes. It's right, it's it it is not loving, it is not caring to our neighbor, right? None of this is good. And the idea that uh it is of the same level for people to point that out, maybe with a little bit less grace than they should have. And actually doing those things and promoting those things and promoting the guy who does a lot of this. Right. As if those are the same thing. Now listen, here on Restless, if any of these people came out and said, you you guys out there, the internet, the world, the scriptures, like you were right, this was a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? I, I, By the way, I'm not saying the scriptures and us internet people are the same. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that some of these things that are like obviously clearly biblically wrong, if you just came out, like we said, if someone like a Tim Keller or others came out and just said, wow, yeah. I didn't know about these things, mm-hmm. right? This is horrible. Obviously, I condemn them fully. Um, if Francis Collins came out right now and said, wow, I've been engaged in some horrible things, if he repented, right, I would start to think, okay, maybe there's something to the fact that maybe this guy could be trusted. The reason that we think this is such a like problematic understanding of what faithful presence is, of being faithful, is because these people— because it would hurt their power and influence, because they refuse to lose their power, their influence, their money. They refuse to say, you're right, we were wrong, right? We were right. wrong in doing right. this. This was sinful, yes. or, or this thing happening in the organization was sinful. Instead, they quietly delete articles. They quietly just move on as if nothing happened. Ed Stetzer just keeps on going as if he didn't have a hand right. in hurting so many people in all of these various church situations that he helped promote. And, and the idea that I feel like these people wounded the faith by accepting a de facto state religion. Yeah. No, that <laughs> no, is that is a degradation happened. of the faith. Yeah. That's not my feeling. And regardless of how I feel about it, if there was repentance, but the silence and we move on is not is not is not how we let the healing begin. And I will say it is interesting. Neither side will be following Eric Erickson's advice. They will not take a week off this and go after the wokes for a while, as he put it. They're not going to take that. <laughs> right. They're not going to take that advice because it violates the whole faithful presence mantra. They can't do it. <laughs> yes. And 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 of course, neither can we. But you know, man. Yeah. So I'm heated. I know. I know. But, so here's the deal. 
the the very idea, like the basic idea of faithful presence is actually good, right? Like it's in in the idea that like in, in, you in as a Christian in your particular roles should be faithful. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And actually, yeah, that is the way that Christians influence culture. I actually think that part is true. It, yes. And it, I... I'll, let me give one historical example. Pastor Michael has his Bible open, and then we'll fit, we'll let him finish there with a, a positive thing. Is this is actually the way Martin Luther saw how cultural influence worked? Now let's think about this. Uh, I would be I would be hesitant to hear anyone critique Martin Luther's his immoderate tone with the Pope, <laughs> calling him the fart blast of Satan. <laughs> like he was he was known oh, for man. these kinds of zingers, but. Only an insane person would think, wow, this, we need to let the healing begin. Popes, maybe maybe stop attacking the Protestants for a minute. And and Martin, you've got to really, you've got to let it go. But, but even Martin Luther, when he spoke to the normal Christian, he said, serve your neighbor. Do your duty. Right. He didn't say what everyone needs to do is follow me in, um, in, in fighting what we might call the direct battle of the Reformation. But... The way he taught people to be husbands, fathers, milkmaids, um, and shoemakers and farmers did change the world, um, and and in the most positive light. And so, I just think it is an, an an example of of a person, which is again, this is always the problem. It's always the false dichotomy, isn't it? And so, Pastor Michael, please bring us home with some Bible because. I don't know how long this <laughs> oh, record. Man. I don't know how long this yeah. has went. Yeah, Lord have mercy. Um, you know, hey, maybe I don't know if I crossed the line at any point. Um, I don't think I did, but um, you know, it's possible because I was pretty heated about this one, um, or I got heated as we talked about it uh, because it is frustrating. So one of the passages that is often used to talk about the idea of faithful presence is from Second uh, Timothy. Um, there are you know different uh, or First Timothy rather. Um, this is First uh, Timothy or First Timothy, First Peter, chapter two, uh, starting in verse eleven says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, uh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." That's often used to describe faithful presence, and I love that. Right, like <laughs> this idea obviously <laughs> here at restless we fully support um and and throw all of our uh you know uh cultural weight behind the authority of peter <laughs> writing in uh writing in uh his his epistle um but this idea here is often said well just like you know he's writing to these sojourners and exiles well we're like that in today's society uh the the issue with kind of this this modern understanding of faithful presence, like we're talking about it, is that you never do anything that would get Gentiles to talk poorly of you, mm. right? So where it says, uh, you know, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, right? In other words, the the Gentiles, oh. in a, those oh, who, those is, unbelievers, yes, this is so good. They when. The way that you live and the things that you believe, they are going to call you an evildoer. Right. That's what's going to happen if you are faithfully present. But, he says, 
what you need to do is live such an honorable life that even when some unbelievers do that, you are so faithful. You're so faithful. You are such a good farmer, father, and citizen. Exactly. That others see that and they say, well, I know that that's not true. And instead they glorify God on the day of visitation. And this kind of ties back to um, what I think is probably the best passage when we think about, hey, what does it actually mean to be faithful um, while present in the world? And, and, and let me just, again, contrast that with what is the current model of faithful presence. It's all of the Gentiles will speak well of you. Yeah. Right? Like, not right. call you an evildoer. It's, we need to do this in a way to make sure none of the Gentiles call us evildoers. Yeah, and if the Gentiles, the, the unbelievers, if they are saying bad things about you, if they're calling you an evildoer, such as evangelicals involved in the kind of Trump uh, White House, um, if they're saying those evil things about you, well, that is a degradation of our cultural witness. Mm. No, like that's not necessarily the case. Now, I'm not defending everybody in the Trump right, White House. Of course. <laughs> there were some crazies there. Absolutely. Um, but man, like this, it's just such a, it is such a lie is what it is. It really is a lie. And maybe some of these people tell it to themselves. Like they actually believe it. Maybe some of them are telling it like out of, uh, you know, this actually deceitful heart. I don't know why they do it, but this is, it's not true. So here's where I want to end. Uh, before I before I start saying even more, that is just gonna give me a trouble. Why do you make me do this, Matt? Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so this is uh, from Matthew five, uh, starting verse thirteen. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt mm. has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, uh, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Mm. Right? Let them see your good works. Let them see your good deeds. Right? Boldly take those courageous stands right, for the truth, not as like an internet jerk. Right? Not like, well, I have to be the guy on Facebook that tells you all of my cultural opinions. Who cares? That's not, that is not the same thing as like a courageous stand uh, on God's word. But live a holy, godly life, even when it is hated. And do so knowing that as you are, um, you know, part of this light of the world that the church is, uh, people will see that. And by the grace of God, uh, by the work of his Holy Spirit, um, they will come to glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is faithful presence. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for making it through this episode of Restless. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it could have been three episodes. It could. It could have been. That was a lot, uh, but hopefully it's helpful. If you have any questions, concerns, <laughs> crit criticisms, <laughs> hey, send them our way, you know. And join us on uh, Patreon, because there might be a lot for those folks to talk about. And if you want more Restless, there's more of it there. <laughs> <laughs>